Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodhi, and I am your host. And it is the Tesla Earnings Q2 2020 Spectacular Show. This is These are my favorite shows to do. I say this every single time because they're my favorite shows to do. I wish Tesla would do an earnings call every week. I would love covering it every single week. It just like brings me so much joy. Before we get started, I want to address something. Some of you emailed me uh, this week based on a comment that I made, which was that I don't care about Tesla stock. Uh, I, I probably should not have put it that way without adding context to it, because overall, I really don't care about Tesla stock. I don't own Tesla stock. I will never own Tesla stock, not because I can't afford it, but more because Tesla is a, a subject that is always on this show. It never goes away. There, I've never done a show, to the best of my knowledge, that did not include Tesla in some way, shape, or form. Talk about it every week. And there are journalists out there who do not buy stocks or invest in areas where you know they work in journalism. So a tech journalist doesn't buy tech stocks, for instance. And so I kind of follow that general uh, philosophy. Now, I will alter that a little bit in that, like, I had NEO stock, but I never talk about NEO or rarely talk about NEO as compared to Tesla. So I was like, eh, as long as I disclose it, it's not that big of a deal. But in general, because I feel like Tesla is such a big part of this show, me owning stock, my opinions or things that I talk about on the show could be perceived as um, I'm either giving Tesla a pass or I'm not being as hard, hard on Tesla as I could be because I have a financial interest in the company and I just like to keep that separate. And in general, Neo is the only company that I've ever stocked that I've ever owned that actually in fact was something that I talk about on the show. I do have investments. I have 401k or uh, 457. I have a 401a. I have pensions and I do own some stocks, although it doesn't make up very much of my portfolio at all. But uh, I, so when I said that, I don't care about Tesla stock, it's because for the most part, this show speaks, we talk about Tesla, the technology and what Tesla is doing to move sustainability forward and that kind of thing. I don't, this isn't a financial show. I know there are a lot of people out there who do podcasts about Tesla 
and they actually own Tesla stock, which I think is great. And I have recommended Tesla stock like to my father-in-law and things like that. I don't think Tesla stock stock is a bad buy. Um, just for me, because of the, the way that I want to structure my show and I want to have, you know, some sort of integrity with you guys, I don't own the stock. And as long as I do this show, I won't own the stock. So I hope that clears some things up. But what the thing I want to apologize for is not what I said, because I don't care about Tesla stock, but it's about how I said it, because I know a lot of you have your personal wealth tied up into Tesla because you believe in the mission, you believe in the dream. I believe in the mission. I believe in the dream. I just don't have any wealth, as far as I know, tied into Tesla. So I'm with you on that side. And I never want anybody, whether they're shareholders through like you used your own money to buy the stock or you were granted stock through the company Tesla. I would never want you folks to lose money. That is absolutely not what I'm about. So I apologize. I, I should have been, I shouldn't have been so dismissive and I should have been clear in, in my stance there. And if you notice, I, I rarely ever talk about stock stuff on this show. I will talk about investments. I will talk about financial problems but I rarely talk about the stock market. So just in general, because part of that is because I don't, it's not really my domain of expertise and I don't want to sound like an idiot. And the other part of it is I, I just don't have a whole lot of interest in it. The things that I find interesting about electric vehicles are, you know, the environmental sustainability part of it. And then in addition, the technology. So again, I, I do apologize because, uh, it, it, when I listened back, I was like, Oh, you kind of sound like a jerk there. So my intention wasn't to sound like a jerk. So I apologize to everybody. Now, let's talk. Having said all of that, let's talk about Leon. Leon, that's not a very good introduction for you, buddy. Leon is our Patreon supporter of the week. Leon is a heck of a nice guy, um, a great family man, uh, just all around. Like he's one of those guys that can just do anything. He's very handy. He's a heck of a nice guy, like I said. And I've just, I've learned a lot uh, just in our discussions over email and Slack and things like that. Just thank you very much, Leon, for supporting the show. Again, uh, I appreciate you and I appreciate every single patron that supports the show. If you want to join us, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt. I only got two levels. $1 level gets you access to the extended Patreon feed or the $5 level, which gets you access to Slack and a kilowatt sticker and all that fun stuff. All right, let's get right to the fun stuff, shall we? Our first clip is Elon's opening remarks. Um, by the way, Tesla did make a profit, uh, about $140 million, I think, profit, fourth straight profit in a row. And here's what Elon has to say. First of all, I'd like to thank the Tesla team for exceptional execution in the second quarter, despite uh, tremendous difficulties um, they've done an incredible job, and it's an it's an honor to work with such a great team. Um, I mean, there were so many so many challenges, too, too numerous to name, um, but the, they they got it done, um, and just what what a great group to to work with. Um, like I said, it's just an, just an honor to work with such a great team. Um, so, and as a result, we were able to achieve our fourth consecutive profit, profitable quarter. Um, and although the automotive industry was down about 30% year over year in the first half of the year, uh, we managed to grow deliveries in the first half of the year. So despite um, that massive industry, industry decline, we actually went up. Um, 
We're also very excited to announce that we're going to be building our next Gigafactory uh, in, in Texas. Uh, it's going to be uh, right um, near Austin. It's not, not it'll be about, I'll, I'll, I'll just go into a bit of detail on this, um, and then I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions. Um, but the, lo the location is uh, five minutes from Austin International Airport and 15 minutes from downtown Austin, and it's about 2,000 acres. And we're going to make make it, I think, a factory that is going to be stunning. It's right on the Colorado River, uh, so we're actually going to have a, we're going to have a boardwalk uh, where there'll be a hiking, biking trail. It's going to basically be an ecological paradise. Birds in the trees, butterflies, fish in the stream, um, and it'll be open to the public as well. So not not closed and, and only Tesla. So if, if anyone's interested in working at uh, Gigatech Giga Texas. Uh, uh, with engineering, production, whatever the case may be, um, uh, please let us know. This is uh, we're going to be uh, doing a, a major, a major factory there, <clears throat> uh, and it's also where we'll be doing uh, we'll be doing Cybertruck there, the Tesla Semi, and we'll be doing Model Three and Y for the uh, eastern half of North America. Um, now, at the same time, I want to say we, we will continue to grow in California. Uh, so, but we expect California to, to do Model S and X for worldwide consumption uh, and 3 and Y for the western half of North America. Um, and then we think probably also the Tesla Roadster, uh, a future program, would also make sense uh, in California. So I think this is a, a nice split between uh, Texas and California. And um, yeah, just to emphasize, we'll continue to grow in California, uh, but we'll, we'll be creating a, a massive uh, factory and uh, cyber truck and semi programs in Texas. So, uh, and, and, and I also want to just say, do a shout out to, to Tulsa, um, and and just say th thank you very much for to, to the the Tulsa team, um, the economic development team, and the governor. Uh, really, I was super impressed. The whole Tulsa team was, was super impressed, and. Uh, we will for sure strongly consider Tulsa for uh, future expansion of Tesla down the road. Um, let's see, is there anything more we want to say about? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of information, so anything else, guys? All right, well, I'm sure there will be lots of questions. Um, uh, we, we've already started work on the facility, so um, some initial uh, construction work, so it's, it's already underway, um, started this weekend. Let's see, moving on to other subjects, uh, uh, solar, uh, we recently adjusted the pricing of our retrofit solar. Uh, so Tesla Solar is the lowest cost solar in the United States, uh, and we added a lowest, lowest cost guarantee and a money back guarantee. So we're very confident that people will, will love our solar product, whether it's the solar retrofit or solar roof. Um, our solar is now 30% cheaper than the U.S. average. After the federal, federal tax credit, uh, Tesla Solar now costs $1.49 per watt. Um, and uh, it's, it's a very simple, highly automated, single-click experience. So definitely um, think about uh, Tesla, whether you want a new roof or Tesla solar roof, or you want solar on your existing roof. Either way, uh, we're, the, we're, the, we're the company to go to. Um, and, um, and then you can also get a power wall and, and, and have energy independence and, and be your own utility. So I think that, that product is really coming together. Um, and it's only going to get better later this year. So it's, it's just 
very excited about that that uh, business potential. On the, you know, um, additional technology stuff, we introduced the first. Uh, uh, production car with more than 400 miles range. So the current Tesla Model S uh, now has an EPA certified range of 402 miles. Uh, I mean, you, basically you can drive from LA to San Francisco nonstop and still have some uh, mile, miles left over when you arrive. And, and this, this is at highway speeds. So you don't, don't have to do anything, uh, drive slowly or anything. You drive it, you can just drive normally and, and uh, you know, go very, very long distances. Um, and then for full self-driving, we launched traffic lights and stop signs, uh, and we continue to improve that and make it more robust. Um, and we're currently uh, testing full self-driving software for uh, intersections and city streets and narrow streets. So um, I, I personally test the, the latest alpha build of the full self-driving software when I, when I drive my car, um, and it is really, I think, profoundly better than people realize. Um, yeah, really profoundly better. It's, it's, it's like amazing. So um, it's almost getting to the point where I, I can go from my house to work with no interventions, uh, despite going through construction and widely varying uh, situations. Um, so I, this is why I, I, I'm very confident about full self-driving functionality uh, being complete by the end of this year, it's, it's, because I'm literally driving it. Um, in conclusion, uh, uh, I'd like to again say thanks for all the hard work of the Tesla team, uh, achieving our first full year of profitability in the company history uh, was incredibly difficult, um, and, and just as a result of the hard work of a, a lot of people from Tesla worldwide. Um, and and yeah, just think about the next the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, we'll have three new factories in place. Uh, you know, things are looking great with uh, Giga Berlin, uh, and um, what we'll have: Cybertruck, Semi, Roadster, uh, full self-driving. There's so much to be excited about. Uh, it's really hard to kind of fit into this uh, call, but uh, the, the sheer amount of hardcore engineering, especially on the, uh, you know, autonomy and the, the manufacturing engineering front is mind-blowing. Uh, and then, of course, there's Factory Day, which is, you know, coming up pretty soon. Um, and I think that's that's really going to surprise people about by, by just how, how much there is to see. Um, so, uh, with that, uh, Thanks again for your support in our long-term mission, um, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, having a great journey with you to create amazing products and continue scaling it. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, I think, I've never been more optimistic or excited about the future of Tesla and the, the history of the company. All right. A lot of stuff in Elon's opening remarks. First, I love that he thanked the team. A lot of people... Uh, I don't. I know that people don't think that Elon does all of this stuff by himself, but it really is. There is a team all the way from the folks who mop the floors to Elon. There's a a huge range of people, engineers and folks on the line. Everybody that works in those factories plays a valuable part. Um, so to thank them, I think is 
it is a very small gesture, but it is a very necessary gesture for Elon to do. Now, going back to the Tesla stock price, all of those folks who have Tesla stock and got it early, um, those folks are buying new houses and stuff. So that's great. So that's another way to thank the team. Um, the auto industry as a whole uh, did not grow. It actually declined a little bit. But Tesla grew, uh, which is really great, especially when you consider that they were shut down for April. I think it was all of April and some of March or maybe it was some of April. But anyway, uh, they were shut down for a while. So that's great. The Tesla grew. Uh, Giga Texas, I honestly thought it would be called Giga Austin or Giga Travis County, which doesn't (laughs) Giga Travis County is a dumb name. But Giga Texas, they're going to be on 2,000 acres. Uh, We talked about this a little bit when we listened to the Travis County uh, officials talk about Tesla. There's going to be a beautification plan. It's going to be open to the public. They're close to where I live. There is a business park that has two lakes and walking trails, and they stock it with fish. And it's it's a really pretty area. It's not going to be anywhere near as pretty as what Tesla is planning. But it's nice. My wife and my kids and I will ride our bikes down there and and just kind of hang out by the water and, and, you know, ride around the lakes and things like that. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we figured Cybertruck and Semi. Uh, it's nice to know that Model 3 and Model Y will also, will also be built at this factory. And a uh, little surprise, the initial construction began last week. You thought, you think we would have heard about that, but I had not heard about it last weekend. Excuse me. Uh, makes sense that Fremont's going to continue building SNX exclusively. And then they're going to build three and Y for the Western half of the the country. The Roadster, I figured the Roadster would be at the new Gigafactory, to be honest with you. So that was a little bit of a surprise. And I do think, since Elon did spend so much time in Tulsa, that Giga Tulsa is definitely something that could happen in the future. Uh, The solar stuff, we've already talked about that, so I'm not going to go into that. I will say that I have Tesla solar panels on my roof and their customer service is fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, Then you talked about the 400 mile model S and improvements in full self-driving. Next, we're going to listen to Zach Kirkhorn. We're going to listen to his um, opening statements and he is the CFO for Tesla. So let's listen to that. Yeah. Thanks, Martin. I want to start by thanking our employees customers, and suppliers for your support over the last quarter. In particular to the Tesla team, I couldn't be more impressed with the hard work and the resiliency that you all have shown. On net income, overall, as Elon mentioned, we achieved our fourth sequential quarter of profitability. This is despite a significant impact to our financials as a result of suspended operations of our U.S. factories and field operations around the world. To ensure the business remained healthy, we took temporary action to reduce costs including expenses related to personnel and non-critical path projects. The direct, cost savings, or the direct cost impact of the temporary shutdown was largely offset by these cost savings actions, although the costs were concentrated in COGS and the cost reductions were in both COGS and operating expenses. On automotive gross margin, excluding regulatory credits, this reduced sequentially from 20% to 18.7%. This sequential reduction is fully attributed to idle capacity charges and lower operational efficiency due to the various shutdowns. Despite these charges, we continue to make progress reducing our costs, particularly on Model Y in Fremont and Model 3 in Shanghai. 
Given the global macroeconomic context, we made the decision in Q2 to pass through savings to customers around the world on some of our products. With the release of stoplight and stop sign recognition and response, we recognized $48 million of deferred revenue in the period. The full profit impact on our P&L is less than half of this due to cost associated with FSD computer retrofits in the field. Regulatory credit revenue increased sequentially to $428 million. While difficult to forecast precisely, our best estimate of 2020 credit revenue is roughly double that of 2019. Services and other margin improved yet again, marking the fifth sequential quarter of improvement. In the energy business, our Megapack product achieved its first quarterly profit. We remain pr production constrained in this business and are continuing to work towards building additional capacity. And our solar installation business was impacted by permit office closures limiting installation volume. Stock-based comp increased from Q1 to Q2. This is driven almost entirely by an expense related to the next tranche of the CEO grant, as well as early vesting of the first tranche, which is reflected in SG&A within operating expenses. On cash flows, our cash balance increased to our highest level yet of $8.6 billion, which included free cash flows of over $400 million. This is a strong result on its own, despite an increase in capital expenses associated with Shanghai and Berlin, as well as movements in working capital. A few things to note on working capital, particularly accounts receivables. While our AR balance is usually about 20% of revenue, it can fluctuate depending upon a number of factors. First, overall less than 30% of our receivables is associated with new car sales. Second, due to payment terms associated with financing and enterprise customers, settlement timelines for certain methods of cash payments, and geographic mix of our deliveries, our cash balance and associated receivables are impacted significantly by how many cars are delivered in the final weeks and days of the quarter. Third, roughly 40% of the balance is attributed to payment terms on regulatory credit sales and statutory EV incentive programs, both of which have been increasing. Customer deposits reduced slightly as well. Note that as we transition to lower order fees across the world, the average deposit per order will continue to reduce, driving down this balance. As we look forward, Tesla was able to navigate through Q2 due to our agile and dynamic culture. We will continue to appropriately manage our cash flows through cost optimization and close working capital management. This is key as we remain focused on expanding production, scaling our operations, and preparing for the launch of three new factories over the next year and a half. All right, that was a great update by Zach. I don't really have a lot more to, to add on to that. I do think it's really interesting to hear the kind of inner workings of how Tesla is working through things like the suspension of production and stuff like that. In our next clip, we're going to start hearing from institutional investors. So I'm not going to play through all of them, only the ones that are interesting. Uh, what is your vision for software at Tesla? What opportunities do you see for monetizing the installed base other than via FSD? And right now, by far, by far, FSD is just overwhelmingly the most important thing. Um, you know, I think the, the upgrading of the fleet to full self-driving, um, essentially with an over-the-air software update, I mean, may go down as the, the, the biggest asset value increase in history as, as a step change. You know, not the, maybe there's something bigger, but it certainly would be one of the biggest. I can't think of anything bigger. Um, 
so sort of a, so overnight, you know, a million, you know, depending exactly on when it happens and when it's allowed in various um, regulatory uh, jurisdictions, you'd have like, I don't know, at least you know, a few million cars suddenly becoming five times more valuable or something like that. Um, certainly five times higher utility. They go from like 12 hours a week of utility, something like that, or that's how many hours are used, uh, to 60, something like that. You know. So everything else is pretty small by comparison. Um, now, when things do become full self-driving, so what are people going to do in the car? Well, I guess they're probably going to do productivity and entertainment of some kind. You know, watch movies, play games, and do work. But that, that's that's in the future. Yeah, we're already putting some games and stuff on the car just for fun. Yeah. Yeah, we have been experimenting on that, and so. Um, you know, FSD remains by far and away the biggest opportunity in the near term, but we're putting the plumbing in place to um, be ready to scale other areas when the time is right. So premium connectivity subscription is something that we put in place. Uh, and the ability to upgrade your vehicle through the app, for example, on acceleration boost, or upgrading a standard range Model 3 to a standard plus, adding rear heated seats. So these are things that uh, we have and we're continuing to get feedback from the field and other things that we can launch, and we'll trickle those in with time. Yeah, yeah. but they're all very tiny compared with, like, the tri like the, the step change to full self-driving, depending upon how you calculate it, is probably worth, you know, at least $100,000 per car. So that's a lot of software you have to sell, you know, <laughs> in the App Store or whatever, you know. So I think that answer was so awkward because there are things that Elon would like to tell us and that in the past he would tell us, but he cannot tell us. Um, one little tip that I thought was interesting is once full self-driving is fully realized, what's the next step in the vehicle in terms of, you know, the evolution where you're waiting for the car to get you to, from one place to another and that's entertainment. That's not a huge leap. I think most people realize that entertainment is going to be really important in the vehicle and Elon gave a little nod like, hey, we think this is important and we're currently working on things that, you know, make being in your car more fun. So it's kind of interesting. One other thing, uh, a previous question, some asked, someone asked if Tesla would build a smaller vehicle than the Model Y and Model 3, a more compact car and a larger vehicle, maybe like a minivan type thing. And Elon said we're not going to comment on future announcements but it would make sense for Tesla to build a more compact car. And we talked about that. I think it was last week about building a compact car for the European market. And then obviously, you know, my wife loves her minivan or our minivan. So it would make sense that, uh, and they're really popular. So it makes sense for Tesla to potentially make a minivan. All right. I've yacked enough. Let's go ahead and listen to the next question. What are the most important upcoming self-driving milestones, and how do you think about timing? Well, the, um, the, the actual major milestone that's happening right now is, is really a transition of the autonomy system or the cars, like AI, if you will, from thinking about things in 
um, like oh, like two and a half D. <laughs> it's like think, think of, it's basically taking like isolated pictures um, and and doing image recognition on the, on pictures that are partially correlated in time but not not very well uh, and transitioning to kind of a 4, 4D where you know it's it's like your which is video essentially you get you're thinking about the world in three dimensions and for the fourth dimension being time. So that that architectural change, which has been underway for some time, but has not really been rolled out to anyone in the production fleet, is what really matters for full self-driving. Um, so what you know, what we've been doing thus far is really just been with like 2D, mostly 2D, and and and. and like I said, not well correlated in time. So, just people just—it's just hard to convey just how much better a fully 4D system would work. It does work. Um, it, it, it's capable of things that it—that if you—if you're just look, looking at things as individual pictures as opposed to video, like basically, like you go from like individual pictures to uh, surround video. Um, so this is fundamental. So the the the, the car will seem to have just like a giant improvement. Um, I know we'll probably roll it out later this year. Um, but it, you know we'll be able to do traffic lights stop. Turns, trust, everything, you know, pretty much. Um, and then it will be a, a long march of n nines, essentially. How, how many nines of reliability um, are okay? Um, so it'll definitely be way better than human, but how much better than human does it need to be? Um, so that, that, that that's actually going to be the real work. There's just a massive amount of work with each kind of order of magnitude of reliability. Um, but you'll see, you'll see it happen, and if you plot the points on a curve, it'll be kind of obvious where it's headed. Um, AI in general, I think, is something, you know, I've been saying this, banging this AI drum for a decade. We should be concerned about where AI is going. Um, the people I see being the most wrong about AI are the ones who are very smart because they can't imagine that a computer could be way smarter than them. That, that's the flaw in their logic. They're just way dumber than they think they are. All right. Another kind of awkward answer. Um, and the reason, again, I think is why is there's more of a story to tell and Elon can't tell it it sounds like we need to add you know what did he say we're at uh, two and a half dimensions now we need to add one and a half more dimensions to get to four and then it'll be um just the march of nines and the march of nines if you don't know is when you go to like buy a hosting account or a, some sort of backup count account there they will always say you know we're in 90 uptime 99.9999 that's the march of nines so
And then a weird little AI thing at the end, because isn't effectively isn't full self-driving AI. I know that there is machine learning, which is different than AI. So the programmers in the audience, let me know where I'm wrong here. But uh, full self-driving seems like it's AI and not machine learning. So correct me if I'm incorrect on that. So let's listen to our next clip. Please, may you update us on Alien Dreadnought? How has your thinking evolved and what is needed in order to get closer to fundamental physical limits? Well, we're putting a massive amount of effort into manufacturing engineering, the machine that makes the machine. There's probably 1,000%, maybe 10,000% more engineering required for the factory than for the, the product itself. Uh, so we're certainly making making progress. I mean, you know, battery and powertrain factory, Gigafactory Nevada is, you know, I don't know, Alien Dreadnought version 0.5, something like that. So, you know, starting to approach version one. Um, we're, we're getting way better at making cars. You can see that in Giga Shanghai. Um, you, you'll see that even more with uh, with Berlin, um, and and we're really changing the design of the car in order to make it more manufacturable. The the fundamental architecture of, of Model Y will be different in Berlin. It, it may look the same, but it, the internals will be quite different and fundamentally more efficient. Uh, architecturally than than what we've done to date. Um, hey, Drew, would you like to add to that? Uh, I, yeah, I was going to expand on that thought. I think um, part of the Alien Dreadnought concept is not just automation, but minimizing the number of process steps and complexity involved in the manufacturing system, which involves really integrating design and manufacturing across from like when the raw materials enter the factory to the finished goods exit. Yeah. Um, and, and we're learning so much through doing that. Yeah, vertical integration is extremely important for this. Yeah. Um, but the supply chain, if you, if, you, if you put like a GPS tracker on, on a molecule from when it got mined to when it was in a usable product, it would look insane. <laughs> like in, in, it would be like, wow, it went around the world like six times. Um, so with vertical integration, maybe you can only go around the world once. You know. It's, it, Huge improvement, or not even like half a. I think a half. A, I think if we get vertical integration, alone, it could probably get you an order of magnitude improvement. Um, so, yeah. Um, I mean, Jerome, you want to? Yeah, I think the the focus for us is uh, um, in increasing the capex uh, efficiency. This is something that uh, we've been working very hard uh, for the past three years. Um, and you can see that uh, we can build new factories for less amount of money and much faster. Yeah. Uh, those things go together. Um, yeah, it's a better it's a better factory for less money in less time. Yeah, less money means less time. Yeah. So that's uh, a, a great advantage, and um, we're also reducing this, and it still is a lot uh, the amount of inefficiencies. We want every operation to add value yeah. to the vehicle, 
value meaning moving the atoms closer to their final state. You know, so we do yeah. not want any robot that just moves things. Yes, or, adding or, or a person. It, 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 yeah, like, yeah, in fact, funny. it's like we, we want to be super respectful of people's labor. If, yeah. we're, if we're asking somebody to do something, are we sure it's useful? Are we, are we asking them to spend their time in a way that is respectful of their time? Um, but, but but it's like, wow, the potential for improvement is is tremendous. And like, I just want to be clear. Here at Tesla, we love manufacturing. It's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, and I, I really think more smart people should be working on manufacturing. It's and we like, want more people. Yeah, we, we exactly. can't find enough <laughs> we, people. We, we, yeah. we do. If people are interested in designing new lines and uh, trying to do things different, you know, Tesla's got a job for you. And now we've got jobs yeah. everywhere. It's not only in California. Yep. We've got jobs in China, in Berlin, in Austin, Texas. Yeah. And in California, if you uh, so there's plenty of uh, exciting places, and all these places will do original work and challenging yes. and meaningful work. Yeah. Absolutely, um, it, it, it's actually extremely exciting for and fulfilling to design new production systems. Um, and I think that you know for some reason I kind of got a bad rap, especially in the U.S. for a long time, and and I think people didn't think that. Manufacturing, sort of, they thought of manufacturing as like, oh, it's just boring, some boring, just making copies or whatever. But actually, there's far more opportunity for innovation in manufacturing than in the product itself. Um, order of magnitude. Uh, so, uh, it, like, if there's one thing that comes out of this call, it's like, hey, if 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 you want to help us invent amazing new manufacturing techniques. Um, and, and have input into the product itself. It's not like you just get tossed the product and say, hey, make this this product and it's a kind of a lousy design. You'd get If you're a manufacturer, you get to change the product design and say, hey, this, this product you're asking me to manufacture is dumb. And, we, <laughs> and they're like, great, let's fix it, you know? So, uh, it, it, you know, at, at Tesla, if you work on manufacturing engineering, you don't just get force-fed a toad sandwich. You, you get to change the product design. So. You know, it's 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 super exciting, and and we evolved the lines uh, even after they're built. They're, this rapid evolution of the production system. So, um, and there's nothing more rewarding than going from zero cars an hour to yeah. five thousand cars a, a week or thousand cars a day. Yeah. So, you know, like the long-term sustainable advantage of Tesla, I think, will be uh, manufacturing. This is not the first time we've heard this. Elon has said there's lots of room for improvement in terms of the factory and manufacturing uh, many times, even when they were first talking about the first gigafactory, he was talking about that. I think it's interesting that they are combining the actual design of the vehicle to make it easier to manufacture. Now, I realize that this is probably something that manufacturers do all over the world, um, but it just never occurred to me that that's probably something that they do. One of the things that I think is neat is that, you know, the Gigafactory Berlin, they're going to have a Model Y that is manufactured in a way that is superior to the way that it's manufactured in the U.S. Um, to that, why isn't there a significant difference in the Model 3? Is it just a more mature product, which is entirely possible, or is that vehicle is the Model 3, even though it shares a lot of the same components as the Model Y, is the Model 3 just easier to manufacture, which is interesting, I think. And then the final thing is, does does anybody else get excited when Elon talks about manufacturing? I think it is so interesting. 
when he talks about manufacturing because you can clearly hear his excitement in in that as well. Uh, this next question, they're going to talk about Giga Texas and how many vehicles they can produce out of that factory. Um, how many vehicles can Tesla produce in Texas? Well, right now, zero. <laughs> um, but uh, long term, a lot. <laughs> okay, we learned two things. One, that Giga Texas is going to be their biggest facility. And two, they're going to produce a lot of cars there. All right, we're done with the institutional investors. Now we're going to talk about or take questions from the retail investors. And the first one is about Tesla Energy. Tesla Energy seems widely ignored by Wall Street, despite Elon, <laughs> despite Elon comments about growth rate exceeding automotive. Could Tesla share more detail on current or planned projects to help investors better understand the business outlook? How disruptive is Tesla's autobitter technology? Yeah, well, I, I, I can't emphasize enough. I think long-term Tesla Energy will be of the, the, roughly the same size as Tesla Automotive. So... Uh, I mean, the energy business collectively is bigger than the automotive business. So you say, like, you know, how, how big is the energy sector? Bigger than automotive. Um, so, and, and in order to achieve a sustainable energy future, we have to have sustainable energy generation, uh, which I think is going to be primarily solar uh, and, and, you know, set, followed by wind. And, and those are intermittent, so you need to have a lot of batteries to store the um so the energy because the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. So, uh, so there's like three elements of the sustainable energy future: wind and solar, sustainable energy generation, uh, battery storage, and electric transport. Those three things. Um, and the mission of Tesla is to accelerate sustainable energy. So I can't emphasize enough the, 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 the like, yeah, the the, the, the Battery and solar will both be enormous, um, and they kind of have to be in order for us to have a sustainable future. Uh, and we've got a great product roadmap on that front as well. So we've been shipping the Mega Pack; it's very well received. Um, yeah, do you want to talk about that? Um, yeah, I, I think the the Mega Pack is has represented itself and, and is uh, an integrated, rapidly deployable you know, grid-tied storage battery of mega, megawatt-hour scale. Um, uh, we're working with utilities, large and small, you know, not just utilities, but also just like microgrid and project developers of all type and building our own um, projects where it makes sense. Um, and uh, there's there's a lot of demand for the product, and we're growing the production uh, rates as, as fast as we can for that product. And then on AutoBidder, AutoBidder is, is basically autopilot for grid-tied batteries, it's an autonomous energy market participation system that, you know, does high-frequency trading and ensures... Well, that, that's a bad word. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. High-frequency trading should be called front-running. Sorry. Uh, we're not, not doing not that. doing anything like that. No, it's, <laughs> it's ensuring that the battery is doing everything it can to manage the grid intermittency yes. of the renewals, renewables and just grid intermittency of all kinds. I mean, you know, people turn their lights on and off, power plants turn on and off, yeah. factories ramp up and down, and batteries are great to, to solve those problems. Yeah, it just it does grid stabilization, yep. you know, at the millisecond level. Exactly. Uh, so it, it just ensures that things are super smooth. Um, it's, it's like a you know UPS an uninterruptible power supply of enormous size. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But just it just ensures that this the grid has smooth sailing. 
Um, and then the, the, the batteries, you know, the computers like all interact with each other and, and make sure that they're working together to make the grid uh, smooth. Um, and this can be done with the power walls and, and the mega packs and the power packs all working together um, and interacting with third party uh, systems as well. Yeah, centrally or distributed, it does both. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, yeah. I mean, it's necessary in order to solve the sustainable energy problem. So. Yeah, you can't plan power plants on the hourly scale in a renewable world. You need to plan it, you need to optimize them on a minute by minute scale, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, the, the real limitation on Tesla growth is, uh, is cell production at, at an affordable price. That's the that's the real limit. Um, so um, you know that's why we're you know, we're, we're going to talk about a lot more about this on Battery Day um, because that, this is the fundamental scaling constraint. And, and and any part of that at that supply chain or processing of uh, at the cell level will will, will be the limiting factor. So uh, you know whatever it may be um, anywhere from mining to refining. And there's many steps on the refining to, you know, cathode and anode formation, cell formation. Uh, whatever the choke point is, that will set the growth, the growth rate. Um, and so, you know, we we we, um, we expect to expand our business with Panasonic, with CATL, with LG, possibly with others. Um, um, and uh, you know, and there's a lot more to say on that front on Battery Day. All right. In my opinion, the best part of that little clip or that very long clip was about the auto bidder, bidder software and the way that they gave an example of it's like full self driving for um, energy. I thought the way they described that cleared up a lot of it for me. However, I still probably don't understand a quarter of what I should. And the rest of it, you know, we've already heard before the energy and automotive uh, divisions at Tesla would, would be about the same size or energy would be actually be a little bit bigger. And then the cell production, uh, affordable costs, of course, but wherever that bottleneck is, is where it's going to hold everything up. That's not new information. Elon's talked about that several times. In our next clip, they're going to talk about Tesla Semi and volume production. Uh, now that it's time to bring the Tesla Semi to volume production, can you share more detail on production plans, what weekly production rate is considered volume production, and uh, when does Tesla expect to reach that rate? Sure. Yeah, so we'll start production next year, as we announced before. I'm personally very excited about the project. I can't wait. Uh, we do have a few trucks that keep driving around and that keep delivering cars, uh, but uh, we're going to accelerate that. I want to be clear that uh, the first few units uh, we will use ourselves, uh, Tesla, to carry our own freight, uh, probably mostly between Fremont and Reno, which is a fantastic test route. Uh, we want to prove that we have re really good reliability. I mean, so far, the early units do have it, but we'll, we'll do that at the larger scale. And we have also promised uh, some early units to some um, long-term, very patient and supportive customers, and we'll do that. Uh, now we have uh, more sales coming up in uh, next year, as uh, Elon just pointed out, so we can uh, increase uh, the um, uh, diversity of the portfolio. It didn't make sense up to now to do it, yeah. uh, but uh, uh, we'll be ready, and um, that's 
yeah, maybe a little biased. I'm very excited about this. And uh, we have a lot of very unique technology that we're always dreaming about that we will be putting into that semi. It will be just awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just there's like two general classes of, of cell. There's like the iron phosphate and then the nickel-based. Uh, nic the nickel-based cells have um, higher energy density, so longer range. Uh, obviously, those are needed for something like the semi, um, where you know every every unit of mass that you add in battery pack, you have to subtract in cargo. So you, it's very important to have a mass efficient and long range uh, pack for for batteries. Um, however, what we're seeing with uh, our that passenger vehicles is that our powertrain efficiency and uh, sort of tire efficiency, you know, drag coefficient, like basically all of the things that like you know our HVAC, uh, go, going to a heat pump, um, basically our, our total vehicle efficiency has gotten good enough with uh, Model 3, for example, that we actually are comfortable having an iron phosphate battery pack in Model 3 in China, um, and you know, and that, that'll be in volume production later this year. Um, so we think that, you know, getting a range uh, that is in the high 200s, uh, you know, basically, but we think you probably get a range of almost 300 miles uh, with an iron phosphate pack, taking into account a whole bunch of uh, of powertrain and other vehicle efficiencies, um, and and that that frees up a lot of capacity for things like the Tesla Semi um, and and uh, you know other projects that require higher energy density. So yeah, so you. Have like two two supply chains that you can tap into iron phosphate or or, or nickel. Um, we use very little cobalt in, in in our system already, and that's that may trend, you know, to zero long. So it's just really about nickel. All right. Again, these are some things that we already knew. Production of the Tesla Semi begins next year, which I assume that's also with the Cybertruck. Um, Tesla will be the first customer for Tesla Semi. That makes total sense. The thing that I'm excited about is the technology that they're hinting at for the Semi that's going to be really impressive in their wildest dreams. Eventually, that wildest dreams technology that's in the Semi will filter down where it makes sense into the consumer vehicles, and that's just going to make it better for us. I think that's amazing. And then we talked about the Model 3 iron phosphate batteries. We've talked about that several times. What I did not consider, right, we were talking about the efficiencies of the battery, and what Elon said was they were actually to make the cars more efficient. So you take the efficiencies of the batteries improvements and the car efficiencies, that makes total sense. I don't know why I didn't put two and two together, uh, but it was good to hear that. In our next clip, we're going to learn about the status of Tesla insurance. What is the holdup for Tesla insurance outside of California? Will you release numbers uh, from that part of the business? Will Tesla insurance be required to participate in the Tesla ride-hailing network as a driver? Um, yeah. We were joking before the call that we get the quarterly insurance question that pops up on say.com here. Um, we are working super hard on insurance. Uh, I'll go into a little bit more detail here than I have on the past. But, uh, currently, we have a product in California, as I've described before, it's been quite well received, and um, I, I would largely describe it as a fairly standard insurance product with elements of it that are unique to our cars. So you can think of it as a, a version one of Tesla insurance. Um, yeah. 
Version 0.9 is beginning, at least. 0.9. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what we're working on now um, is we can call it version 2, or we can call it the first version of our telematics product. Yeah. And so really, ultimately, where we want to get to with Tesla Insurance is to be able to use the data that's captured in the car, uh, in the driving profile of the person in the car, to be able to assess correlations and probabilities of crash, and, and be able then to assess a premium on a monthly basis for that customer. And uh, what makes this very exciting for us is the, the amount of data that is available with the customer's permission to use uh, is, is not available in any other product or any other vehicle in the world. So this gives us a unique advantage in terms of information. And you know, we have a decision point here where we could take the California product and replicate that into other states, or we could delay, delay going into additional states and instead put more effort into the telematic side of this. And, and we chose the latter. And where we are now is um, nearly complete with the uh, risk and cost analysis associated with the first version of the telematics product. We hope to be filing that in a handful of states with regulators very shortly. And uh, assuming that regulatory approvals go uh, smoothly, we hope to have this uh, in a handful of states by the end of the year. And, um, and then it will continue to file for approval in additional states. With regulatory approval there, we'll continue to roll this out nationwide as quickly as we can. And then that product, as we continue to collect more data and we iterate on it, will be version 2, version 3, et cetera, as we continue to refine that. Yeah. I mean, at, at the heart of, of being competitive with insurance is what is the accuracy of your information? Like, are you dealing with, are, are, are you forced to assess people statistically looking in the rear view mirror, or can you uh, assess people individually uh, looking ahead with, uh, with with smart projections and inform the, the, the driver that, uh, that of, of how they may reduce their, what, what actions they can take to reduce their insurance. Um, as Zach was alluding to, it's like, if, okay, you're driving too fast, you're, you know, doing this, that, or the other thing. It's like, if you, if you want to pay more for insurance, you can, uh, but if you want to pay less, you know, then uh, please don't drive so crazy. <laughs> um, then, uh, then people can make a choice. Like, okay, they want to drive aggressively in the case of your higher, higher insurance or they want be you're more careful in the driving and it'll be pay, pay less. Um, it's, it's also actually very helpful for us to have a feedback loop to see what is driving insurance expense. A lot of it is just, it's like um, you have like little fender bender and the net fender bender because of the way that the body collision repair is being done, you know, cost like $15,000 or something crazy. And we're like, well, how, and and then we can actually adjust the design of the car and adjust how the repair is done to actually have the fundamental cost of solving that problem be less. Um, so this, this has helped us unearth a, a whole bunch of silly things that we were doing, basically, um, without realizing it. Um, which is, this is the problem with, in general with insurance. It's like if, if the insurance is like all you can eat, then it, the feedback loop for improvement is weak. So uh, this, this gives us a great feedback loop for improvement. It gives us basically a fundamentally better insurance product. Um, I'd also like to say, this, on, in the spirit of recruiting, because if, if there's one thing I'd like to come out of this call, it's um, that a, a lot of great people want to join Tesla. That's the number one thing I'd like out of this call. Um, 
And on the insurance front, I want to be clear, we're, we're building a great, like a major insurance company. Um, if you're interested in revolutionary insurance, please join Tesla. I, I would love to have some high energy actuaries, especially. I have great respect for the actuarial profession. Uh, your guys are great at math. Uh, please join Tesla, especially if you want to change things <laughs> and you're annoyed by how slow the, the industry is. This is the place to be. We want, we want revolutionary actuaries. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. And is it oh, sorry, there, sorry, there was a second part of this question. Will Tesla insurance be required to participate in, in the Tesla ride-hailing network? And so um, I think I've answered this before in prior calls, but by the time the ride-hailing network is available, we will Tesla insurance coverage will be provided for yeah. folks who are in this network. Yeah. Um, it, it's a different type of insurance because of the use of the car. Uh, it, it's not decided whether third-party insurance versus Tesla insurance will be required. There might be some things we need to think through there. But uh, Tesla insurance at least will be working, yeah. working for the ride-hailing network. All right, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe what they said was is they want to get it to where your premium changes on a monthly basis. Um, that's insane. I mean, it's great. Uh, but every month you pay something different. I guess that could be a really good thing or a really bad thing. I prefer to pay my insurance every six months just because I don't want to deal with it every month. But if I could save a substantial amount of money by paying it every month, I might do that. Um, telematics, if you didn't know, because I had to look it up, is like GPS fleet management type software. So they're basically, they know where you're going. They know what you're doing. They know how fast you're going, that kind of thing. And the last thing that I actually really liked is that the car will give you tips on how to reduce costs. Hey, stop driving so fast. Stop accelerating so fast, that kind of thing. Now, the problem is I have a lot of bonehead friends. So if I loan them my car, they are going to test the limits of that car. And that is going to end up raising my insurance rate. So I'm going to have to really be careful who I loan my car to. I'm not even lying. They are They have no respect. I love them. They have no respect. All right. Now we're going to listen to the analysts and they're going to ask their questions out loud. So let's listen. Um, just on the quarter, if you could give us an update on gross margin, was China accretive to gross margin in the second quarter? And give us an idea of how far off Model Y gross margin uh, was versus Fremont Model 3. And then just more broadly on strategy, it seems like your approach to uh, insourcing is varying by region. You're uh, insourcing a lot more in Fremont, but you're relying a lot more on the supply chain in Shanghai. What do you expect your approach to be on insourcing when you eventually open up Berlin and uh, what your Texas factory is going to be? Thank you. Yep. Sure. Just to start with the gross margin questions, uh, we did see progress on gross margins in China, uh, and that was despite pricing action that was taken. Uh, the factory is still not running at full capacity yet as it continues to ramp. Uh, so we think there's a continued opportunity to optimize the cost structure there. Um, Model Y, uh, as we mentioned last quarter, was profitable in its first quarter of production. Uh, and despite the um, inefficiencies that we had due to the shutdown, we did see a pretty substantial improvement in the Model Y margin. And, and as, we, as we said before, the Model Y cost structure and Model 3 cost structure are, will converge. They're not quite there. Model Y is still slightly more expensive than Model 3, and it's not yet at full production. 
Uh, and with Model Y carrying a slightly higher price point, it, you can kind of back into the math there on the relative gross margin. Yeah, I mean, the, the Shanghai factory is a pretty big factory. Um, but, and, and there's, it's, it's continuing to do more and more uh, internally. Uh, but it, it, it's also, the, the thing that's really helping is like, uh, there were previously a ton of parts that were made in other parts of the world that were being shipped to Shanghai uh, from, from every part of the world. Um, and uh, just locally sourcing uh, those components makes a massive difference to the cost of the vehicle. Um, and the, I mean, the proportion of local sourcing has literally been rising at like five to ten percent a month. Uh, from forty, it was like forty percent at the beginning of this year, or something like that. It, you know, it'll be like eighty percent, you know, by the end of this year, maybe more. There is also a lot of very strong, very competent, and very eager suppliers around the factory in Shanghai. Yeah, I'd say like the suppliers in China have been extremely competitive, possibly yep. the most competitive in the world. And so far, you know, we're in negotiations with, uh, for, for Berlin and we've awarded a lot of business. Also, a lot of uh, suppliers in, uh, in Germany or uh, the rest of Europe that are eager to support uh, the factory in Berlin. Yeah, yeah well, obviously Germany has a, a, a great automotive uh, industry and, and supply chain. So actually a ton, ton of, us, of, of our, our suppliers are in, in Germany within like a, a few hundred kilometers of the factory. All right. I don't really have much to say on that because it's all financial stuff, but I left it in there because I know a lot of you like that. And in the next clip, they're going to talk about Tesla's mission versus profit. What do they value more, their mission or profit? You've talked a lot about the mission of the company and, and uh, you know, and, uh, and, and really trying to drive uh, uh, EV uh, adoption globally. So how do you think about that trade-off between driving towards industry-leading profitability yet trying to make your cars more affordable and broader? It, it, it feels like historically you've always picked the path of I'd rather drive more growth and more adoption because ultimately that's – the mission of the company, and we even saw it a little bit this quarter with with price reductions. You could have probably kept price where it is, sold some units, and had better profits. But but that's been an ongoing choice that Tesla as a company has made. So how do we how do you personally think about that trade off between um, you know even if you were to get to industry leading margins, wouldn't you be inclined to give more of that back to drive a greater adoption more quickly? Well, I think we actually achieve both when you factor in autonomy. Um, I think we can go go way beyond industry margins and and have the car be affordable to more and more people, and, and eventually, you know, almost everyone, almost everyone, uh, when factoring in autonomy. But um, that is really a mega game changer, uh, giga, giga giga game changer. Um, yeah, uh, but, but I, I mean, th- th- it is important for people to, to distinguish between two things. There's value for money that a product has, and then there's affordability. And, and uh, you know, even if you rail value for money and have value for money, like, infinite, if people do not have enough, if, if people do not have enough money in the bank account to buy the car, they simply cannot. So then you just have this, like, awesome thing that nobody can buy. So uh, it is important to make the car affordable. We will not succeed in our mission if we do not make the cars affordable. 
Um, like the thing that bugs me the most about where we are right now is that our cars are not affordable enough. Uh, we need to we need to fix that. So we're all making progress in that regard. Um, just sort of steadily making progress. Um, you know, so yeah, um, like we, we we need to you know not go bankrupt. Obviously, that's important because that will fail in our mission. Um, but we're not trying to be super profitable either. Obviously, we're like you know profitability is like one percent or something. You know, this one or two percent. It's not it's not crazy. Um, last quarter was only 0.1 percent. So we want to be profitable. Like I think just we want to be like slightly profitable and maximize growth and make the cars as affordable as possible. That's like what what we're trying to achieve. All right. I love the messaging here. This is great messaging from Elon. Uh, And I love the way he put it. Tesla cars, uh, there's a lot of value for your money. The cars, when you first buy them, whether they're used or whether they're brand new, you get a great car with a lot of cool technology and as a very safe car. And then as time goes on, you get a better car. Like your car continues to improve despite the fact that it might be two, three, four years old, it's still improving. That is great value for money. But, and I agree with Elon on this, and I've talked about this on the show all, you know, constantly, is Teslas are not affordable. They are very expensive vehicles. A $40,000 car or vehicle is out of reach for a lot of folks. And even some of the Teslas, like the used Teslas, are still out of the reach of for, for a lot of people, at least in the United States anyway. So I, I I really like his messaging there. And I like Tesla's, I like Elon saying that their goal is not only to provide value for money, but also to make a car that is affordable. I, I love that. Uh, my favorite part of this whole um, earnings call was this clip right here. All right. Now they are going to go into near-term demand. Let's talk about near-term demand. Hi, good afternoon. Um, could you please characterize the current near-term demand environment for your vehicles? These, these are obviously unusual times. Um, I think back in Q1, you had indicated record backlog, um, I guess, at the beginning of this past quarter. But I haven't seen any specific comments about new orders or backlog in the release today. So can, can you give us some color? Uh, demand is not our problem. Definitely not. Uh, you know, we do have some production supply chain challenges that challenges we're trying to solve right now. Um, you know, for example, the Model Y rear body casting, obviously, because it's new technology, it's been tricky to uh, maintain rate and, and keep growing the the rate for Model Y casting, uh, which is it's a two piece casting with a bunch, and then there's about a half a dozen other parts that are added on um, that, that will transition to a one-piece casting. In fact, I'm pretty super excited about this. We're going to have a giant, the world's biggest casting press uh, is getting assembled right now, actually, in Fremont uh, for the Model Y rear body casting. Um, it's enormous and looks awesome. Um, so it's like our, the things that are troubling us right now are not demand that they are um, – just a, a bunch of firefighting on supply chain and production uh, issues. Okay, so to put it, yeah. sorry, 
Yeah. Don't worry about demand. <laughs> That's not the issue. Okay. So when you're yeah. saying achieving 500,000 deliveries has, has become more difficult, was it really just a function of the the recent shutdowns and, and some of these, uh, uh, you know, supply dynamics? Yeah. It's, it's not it's not to do with demand. It's really just a production issue. It, it's, it's pretty hard when you've got, like, you know, a global supply chain and it's kind of whatever the most effective part of that global supply chain is, that sets your rate, you know. So, I mean, the number of rabbits we've had to pull out of a hat for supply chain is insane. Team's done an amazing job. Um, so, I think it also, so, so yeah, some of our costs were related to having to, you know, use a lot of airplanes to get parts around um, because of part shortages. Um, so, we'll hopefully use fewer airplanes, um, but that, that will improve our costs. But it's uh, demand exceeds supply right now. So that's where we are right now. All right. I don't have much to add to that. And, you know, with that last clip, we are done with the whole show. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. I, if you want to contact me, you can hit me up on Twitter at 918digital.com. No, excuse me, at 918digital. And you can email me at Bodie, excuse me, Bodie at 918digital.com. This episode, even though it's only an hour and eight minutes, has taken me a really long time to record and prep for, and my brain is jello. So you can probably hear it um, because I sound like a moron. So anyway, uh, Twitter at 918digital, email Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you next week. Short show next week. Just saying. It's going to be a very short show next week because I've got a lot to do, and I'm very far behind. Bye, everybody. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.